Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 721 with Liz O'Donnell. Liz has some excellent wisdom on a topic we've never discussed here before, which is how do you deal with the challenge that is caregiving and career at the same time? Is it possible to be awesome at both? And if not, how do you make those trade-offs wisely and feel okay about those trade-offs you're choosing to make? Liz earned her experience in a challenging circumstance with her aging parents that she'll talk to us about. So maybe you find yourself in that situation or you have got some personal health issues, family health issues, uh, children challenges, new infant in the mix. Whether you have the challenges before you right now or you want to prep in advance, Liz has got some great stuff you're going to want to know. So you'll hear first the mindset that eases the burden of caregiving. Two, the most important thing you can do when things get overwhelming. And three, the motto to remember when times get tough. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've mentioned, you can find them over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP721. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some nifty stuff such as our Gold Nugget email list, which gives you a summary emails that have the insight that the guest shares that comes out the day the episode releases approximately and unlocks the vault of all 721 of these such summaries. Those are the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's a bit about Liz. Liz O'Donnell is the founder of Working Daughter, a community for women balancing elder care, career, and more. She's an award-winning writer. Her book, Working Daughter, A Guide to Caring for Your Aging Parents While Earning a Living, was named one of the best books of 2019 by Library Journal. Liz is a recognized expert on working while caregiving and has written on the topic for many outlets, including The Atlantic, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes Time, WBUR, and PBS's Next Avenue, and has been featured in Health and Aussie Media. She works with companies to create programs in support of working caregivers. Big thanks to Liz for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Liz. Liz, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. It is a tricky topic that a few listeners have requested. So, and you are one of the top experts in the field. So maybe you could orient us a bit. What's the backstory behind the book, Working Daughter? Backstory is that both of my parents were diagnosed with terminal illnesses on the exact same day. 
So I went from one hospital where the team told me my father had Alzheimer's and could never go home. And before I even left the parking lot after that meeting, I got a call from another hospital where my mother had been brought a couple of days before with stomach pains. And they told me she had ovarian cancer and probably three months to live. And could I come right away and we could tell her together the news. And I was working full time in, uh, at a marketing agency. I had two kids in elementary school. I had my first book that had just come out and I already thought I was as busy as could be. And I felt completely alone and completely unprepared. And working through elder care was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. So I vowed no one else should feel this way. Wow. That, that's powerful. And, um, and thank you for, for sharing your story and, and your journey uh, with us here and in the book to, to enrich folks. And boy, boy, what a day. So tell us uh, maybe a little bit of the story in terms of a little bit of the, the ups and downs and, and key best practices and discoveries you made that somehow make it possible to make things kind of still somehow work. Yeah, well, I'll start backwards. So I'll start at the end. And the end was realizing that um, sometimes the most important work we do is not in a cube or an office. It is at home. And so we have to forgive ourselves when we're not uh, on our career path. Because I was the breadwinner in my family. My husband and I had an agreement that he would be home with the kids and I would go to work. And <laughs> I laugh now thinking, what was I thinking? <laughs> But at one point I was all in on my career. So I couldn't not show up for work. And I worked for a small company and I was really lucky that I had paid time off and I had flexibility because so many caregivers don't. And so I had all of these things going for me as far as trying to make this work. But again, probably the hardest thing I ever had to do. I lost a lot of influence at work. I lost, um, you know, key clients and I still had a seat at the table, but I could tell that my, you know, my voice didn't carry as much weight. And so, like I said, if I start at the end, I just had to really forgive myself and realize that one, you should never feel guilty for showing up for your family. And two, you should never feel guilty for having to go to work and earn a living. And, and in between, you just <laughs> do the best you can. Well, well, I definitely want to hear a little bit about sort of the, the how one forgives oneself, because that sometimes easier said than done. But but first, can we hear a little bit about sort of in practice at the ground level, how is it that you you lost influence at work and and key clients? Like how did that translation unfold? The next six months of my life after those two diagnoses, I only describe, I can only describe them as completely wild. I mean, I had an Excel spreadsheet. It had at its height 196 items on it. I would wake up every morning and highlight the ones that had to happen that day. So it was things like I had to find a memory care facility for my dad. My mom was an hour away, but now that you know, she had a terminal diagnosis, I wanted to move her closer to me, but I wasn't moving her in with me. So... Was I moving them to the same facility? Was you know they had different care needs. I was um, digesting these two diagnoses and what they meant and trying to learn about them. Um, I ended up moving my parents four times. So that's if you can imagine four phone calls to the phone company for a hookup and four calls you know for a, a change. That alone, I think, could kill a person. <laughs> Waiting online on hold for uh, the phone company and I mean medications and hiring nurses. And so, so you're looking for wills and I had no sense of their financial package. So 
literally digging through Rubbermaid bins where my parents, who were, you know, Depression era, which meant they kept everything, everything. So, you know, digging through, trying to figure out what their financial picture was, what they could afford, if they had burial plots, like all of that stuff had to happen every day. And so, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it, but I was kind of a mess in the middle of all of this or on top of all of this, I still had to show up at this very demanding job. And so, as I said, I was really lucky in that I had flexibility. So I went to my boss and asked if I could extend my flex time and my paid time off, basically, so that I didn't take any one chunk of time off. But every week I would set a new schedule. And that was such a godsend. But I mean, and that's one thing I know I'm kind of jumping ahead. But one thing that when people think about elder care in, in the workplace, they think, well, it's like child care. But assuming you have a healthy child, child care is much more predictable. You know, you know when your kid will start preschool and when they'll start kindergarten and when they'll start first grade and when their vacations will be and when their well checks at the doctor will be. And you can put all of that on a calendar. With elder care, I mean, I didn't know, was my mother going to live three months? Was my dad going to live 10 years when were these moments that I needed to drop everything and show up? When were they going to happen? And so I was flaky. Gotcha. So so flaky as in you ended up making additional errors and, and not following through on some commitments at work due to the sheer overwhelm and stress of all the stuff happening unpredictably day after day. Absolutely. And I mean, the hardest thing I think was caring about work. I mean, I, as I said, my, I, at one point when my husband and I were planning a family, I was like, I love my job. I'm not giving it up. And now here I am and I'm literally dealing with life and death, you know, end of life decisions. And um, the fact, knowing that my parents, you know, we all know our parents are going to die someday. We're all going to die someday, right? But now I'm, it's imminent and it's being discussed. And to show up at work and care about, you know, you're on conference calls and people are like circling back and parallel pathing and, you know, strategic paradigm shifts. And it's like, people are dying. I don't care about any of this. Yeah. Wow. Well, Liz, you've, you've really painted quite a, quite a picture in terms of, so, so that's, that's what life, that's what the experience of life was like in the midst of, of that. And so then you learned a few things in terms of some principles and some practices and some tools in order to to cope with that, whether our, our listeners are, you know, specifically dealing with exactly this, you know, parent elder care or other realms of, of, of illness or wild stress and unpredictability, you know, in the personal life. Share with us, what are some of the, the key uh, principles and practices? You, you mentioned forgiveness. And so just to make sure we don't lose it, because it sounds huge. Tell us, how does one go about forgiving oneself? Like, because I, I think it might be easier to know intellectually, hey, you know, this is a, a difficult time right now. There's some special, unique demands that need my attention. They're very important. And so I'm going to need to tend to those. And yet, you know, we can still feel some some guilt uh, about, you know, the trade-offs that we, that we have no choice but to make. So how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. I, I mean, to be perfectly transparent. I don't think I came to this conclusion and, you know, forgave myself until later when I was writing about the experience. And for me, it's through writing, I realized what I was thinking. So um, if people are wrestling with it right now and not figuring out how to do it, I would say you're, you're right on path. You're totally normal. Don't beat yourself up. You asked me, uh, well, your question has a lot of parts to it. So, uh, I mean, I'll start with the, the practical stuff that I learned at work. And what I learned at work um, is that 
I needed to be prepared every day for an emergency. So, you know, years prior, I went out on maternity leave twice and leading up to maternity leave, which again is predictable, right? You get a date. It might not be the exact date, but you kind of know when you're going out on leave. And so I started to keep a running list of uh, projects and what the status was. And I made it really easy for whoever was going to fill in for me to be able to fill in for me. When I got, you know, these two diagnoses and when this crisis first sort of erupted in my family, my house, if you will, at work was not in order. I hadn't filed an expense report in months. Um, I was storing stuff on my hard drive, you know, not on the Google Drive or the server. I wasn't really good about CCing coworkers. So one of the things I learned through the whole experience my dad lived for, I don't know, maybe another five years. So I was a caregiver for quite a while was to always keep your house in order. And, um, you know, like, like I said, keep stuff on the hard drive. I mean, on the, you know, the Google docs and Google drive and CC everybody in the company and make it really easy for your coworkers to help you out. And then just know, I mean, I was a Gen X worker with a lot of younger millennial and uh, coworkers. So they had not been through this experience yet. They also hadn't seen all the equity I had built into my career, you know, the years of sweat equity to sort of earn that flexibility. They just knew that this older woman was a flake. You know, she was leaving a lot. She was taking lots of personal calls. I just had to trust in the process that we don't always get to see what comes around, but know that someday they would experience it too. And that there's just sort of this cosmic payback in the workplace, right? And maybe, maybe my reputation was taking a hit with them and they didn't understand what I was going through, but there had been people ahead of me that I had filled in for, and they're going to be people and, you know, later that were going to, you need to be filled in. So a lot of it was mindset. So there were those practical things I did at work to hopefully make it easier for people to cover for me. But a lot of it was just mindset, constantly telling myself, this is okay. This is normal. And you really can't worry about your reputation at work right now. It is not the most important thing. And death has a way of kind of, you know, giving you perspective. Right. Well, and, and that's beautiful as we're talking about forgiveness. So it's, it's not only forgiving yourself, but then, you know, forgiving the others and the, and the coworkers. Like if, if you, if you see them, I don't know, gossiping or chattering about you, or, or maybe just like a a look on their face or, or whatever that uh, a subtle or not so subtle contempt or, or frustration. Uh, that, that is a beautiful perspective in terms of there will come and not so much like I hate them. They suck, but rather, you know, Hey, you might not realize it yet, but there will come a day, you know, when, when you too, you know, need and will appreciate this flexibility. And right now it happens to be my time. And so yeah, and that's, that's where we easier are. said than done. And part of that is because we all have so many jobs now. It's not like we're all working at the same company for 20 or 30 years and we sort of evolve together. You know, so I had to know that I might never see my coworkers go through this. They did not see my early stages of my career and sort of a so what now what kind of perspective. And I and you know, and I don't mean to minimize this process because I think for many of us who are career oriented, being mediocre at work is really hard. It's a yeah. big adjustment. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That, that reminds me of, that's the, the most random of connections, but I, I think it was Ronda Rousey, the ultimate fighter, who was defeated. And uh, she gave an interview, which was very vulnerable, in which she just started crying. And she's like, if I'm not this, 
you know, what am I or who am I in terms of like her identity was so wrapped up in like winning and victory and being a champion. And, uh, and that could happen amongst folks who like being awesome at their jobs when there's a period of time in which the environment is not so conducive to awesomeness at the moment. And, and so you shared a, a couple mindset bits. Did you have any other kind of phrases or mantras or, or, or mottos or, or kind of go-to things you reminded yourself of in those moments? So prior to the crisis, you know, the, the two diagnoses, my parents were needing more and more care. And I was finding it, you know, quite disruptive to my life and my career. I was working, I was traveling on the weekends. I wanted to be with my kids. I was spending at least one day a weekend um, helping my parents with shopping and bills and mowing the lawn and all of that stuff. And I was really resentful of it. And I remember after this crisis and coming home that night after being at the two hospitals and it was really late by the time I got home, everyone was in bed and I just sort of sat on the sofa in the dark and I remember thinking to myself, you know what, the only way through this is through this, which is, you know, a a bad paraphrase of a Robert Frost um, quote. I didn't know that at the time, but um, I just remember thinking like, you can't get around this, so you might as well just get in it and just figure it out. So the only way through is through kind of kept me going. Yes. And that sounds simple, but I, I think like the alternative thoughts to that are are numerous and tempting. Like, you know, there must be some kind of a trick or a, a approach or a strategy or a tactic or, or a resource or a something that's going to make this all better. And and we're, we're chatting about some things that kind of help a bit. But ultimately, the fundamental difficult circumstances are there and are not just going away. Right. And and I had been thinking about elder care, as I mentioned, for a couple of years prior to the crisis. Because, you know, my parents were needing more. I was giving it to them. I was feeling squeezed already as a busy working mother. So I had been, you know, waking up at two in the morning thinking, I know they need more care but I don't know exactly what, I don't know exactly how I'd fit it in. I've been Googling, you know, and finding these websites that were all, I call them halo and angel websites back then. And this is like 2013, 2014. And it was just like, what a blessing to be a caregiver and just sit down and chat with your family and divide the work and everybody will be okay. And I mean, you know, useless, right? Completely useless. So I'd been searching for the tools and the resources up until this point um, and hadn't been able to find them. And so that's why I thought to myself. And so I was just, I wasn't getting anywhere. And so this concept of the only way through is through was really for me about how are you going to use your energy? You only have so much energy. Energy is probably boundless and all of that good stuff. And, but at the time I was feeling depleted. Right. And so was I going to use up my energy resisting? Like, this sh- I don't want to do this. Why is this happening? Or was I just going to use my energy to get it done? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. And and let's hear, in, inside your mind, what does resisting sound like? So we can readily recognize it in our own minds and curtail it sooner rather than later. It sounded like this isn't fair. It sounded like, for me, um, you know, the, the typical family caregiver of elder care is, I, I mean, I, I fit the profile was a woman in her late forties, early fifties with a parent over the age of 65 and a child under the age of 18. She's working outside the home and she's busy. So I fit the, the poster child for this, but the difference is it's usually the oldest daughter and I'm the youngest of three. So there was a lot of why me 
and what about my siblings and why don't they step up so that, you know, and I, and I bet if any of your listeners are going through that because siblings come up all the time. It's like one of the top two questions I get, you know, so where are my siblings? This isn't fair. And the other thing that I was feeling and I hear from caregivers all the time was this is um, putting my life on hold. And so again, I learned after the fact, after I wrote about this and processed this, that it didn't actually put my life on hold. It's just how it's it's just the turn that my life took. And I think if people can learn to live through these life crises as opposed to wait until, that's another huge step. And I think whether it's elder care or anything else, um, you know, we tend to when I get the next promotion, when I find the right partner, when I drop 20 pounds, you know, this whole concept of waiting until. But if we can figure out how to wake up every day and be like, okay, this is my life. How am I going to make it work? It might be ugly today, but um, then I think that's just really freeing. Mm, absolutely. Well, so in, in your book, your, your chapter titles are imperative verbs, which is a style we like to use in our gold nuggets, actually. So it resonates. So it sounds like we've done some talking about how you accept and how you absolve. And you you teased a little bit about prioritizing with 196 items in Excel and you have limited energy. How do you prioritize well in the midst of these difficulties? Yeah, I mean, the, the 196 items, that was, I mean, those are the tactics. And for me, and what I talk about in the book, the prioritizing is when some kind of wrench comes into your life or your career plans or whatever it might be like elder care did for me. And when you realize that the path you thought you were taking and the ladder you thought you were climbing isn't quite what can happen right now, figuring out what's most important and what you can shed. So back to that concept that I hear from other working daughters all the time, which is caregiving has interrupted my life or stopped my life or put my life on hold. I understand that concept. I felt that concept, but not necessarily true. Your life just needs to shift right now. So what are the top three things in your life that are non-negotiable? And so for me, it was staying employed because I was the breadwinner. I couldn't, I couldn't lose my job. And it was, you know, showing up at some level as a parent. And I don't remember what the third thing was at this time, but you know, what are those three things? And so Everything else was a no. You know, I said yes to those three things every day. I was going to be there for my parents. I was going to not lose my job. And I was going to be an okay parent myself. And everything else fell off for a while. I was uh, very involved in local politics. I was an appointed official. I, you know, resigned from that position. And I had been promoting my first book. And I decided I was going to, you know, give that a B or a C effort. I had these three things that were most important in my life. And that's what I was going to do. So prioritizing for me was more bigger bucket items and realizing that um, there were other th so many other things in my life. I knew that I wanted my first book to do well enough that I could write a second book. And I knew that I wanted to be an okay enough mother that so that my kids wouldn't be talking about me in therapy in a few years, you know. So what were the things I had? And I knew that I had to stay employed, but I wasn't going to keep fast tracking at that point. So what were the things that I wanted to have in place when caregiving was over? And what was the minimum I had to do to make sure that I could step back into those roles? Mm -hmm. And that's a question that uh, many of us haven't asked much and don't like asking, what's the minimum I, I can do? Okay, Liz, so you've got some other great verbs here that flex, choose, manage, disrupt, renew, plan, reflect. 
Uh, I'm intrigued about the Renew in particular. So could we hear about some of the, the best practices there and another one or two things that you think made all the difference? Yeah. So Renew is, um, in that chapter, I talk about this, I think it's seven most annoying words mm. that a caregiver hears, which is you should take care of yourself. <laughs> um, in my case, when I finally told my boss what was you know going on in my life, that's what she said. And luckily I had worked for her off and on almost all of my career. So I was able to take her head off and keep my job. <laughs> and, I, you know, and the response is, we know we're supposed to take care of ourselves. What we can't figure out is how, you know, when, um, you know, 196 items, waking up every day, going through all of this stuff. And so she said to me, she goes, well, why don't you start with hydrating? And it was so simple. Yeah, I had been waking up every morning, starting the coffee, caffeinating all day long, drinking all, you know, Diet Coke all day, just trying to stay awake and go, go, go. And then at night I would be so caffeinated that I would have a glass of wine to try to unwind. So, I mean, I, I was definitely dehydrated through this whole experience and it was such a simple thing to do. I mean, who can't fill a camelback or, you know, plastic water bottle and, and walk around all day. And so I said, okay. Um, and because I had promised my boss, I committed to it. And, um, I started just adding more water to the day. And then eventually I started keeping a pair of sneakers or trainers or tennies, depending on what part of the country you're from in the trunk of my car and um, going for walks when my parents were sleeping, if I was, you know, bedside or waiting. For, and there's a lot of waiting in elder care. You know, there's hospital time. There are doctors who are late. So I just started throwing on a pair of sneakers and, and walking around whenever I could. And little by little, I was just adding these small things. So in my book, I write about, I think, 50 things you can do for self-care. Oh, five zero. Nice. Yeah. Well, they're really small and simple and, and some of them are physical and some of them are mindset. Um, I mean, this is kind of embarrassing, but what the heck? I had certain songs that um, I would play at certain times in the day just to sort of shift my mind and put me in a good mood. And like there was a song I always turned on as, as I was driving up to my mom eventually moved into a hospice home and I never knew on any given day you know, what I was walking into. And I worked from the hospice home a lot of times. Um, I worked remotely. So I wanted to be as upbeat and positive. So I'd, you know, click on my iTunes and, you know, if, if it's singing in the shower, if it's sometimes helping other people out, it didn't have to be hit the gym every day because that wasn't realistic. But what are the little things we can do to feel better every day? And it really makes a difference. Ooh, that, that, that's powerful. And, you know, it's so funny. Uh, Hydration, that's a great place to start because it's easy to neglect and it makes a big impact. So it's so funny. I'm looking at a pair of, of eye, eye drops on my desk, which is true. Sometimes I like tough through a day with dry eyes for no reason all day. It's like, I just don't have to live like that or dry lips with chapstick. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. I just kept going to the, the soda machine for Diet Coke. I didn't have to live like that. I that's good. You know, you're actually less tired when you drink water. All right. So water, songs, walking, singing in the shower, helping others. Any other thing that leaps to mind of the 50 that's huge for renewal? I think anything that helps you escape, right? That helps you sort of shift out of the stress that you're in. So reading, comedy podcasts, all of those things might not sound like the traditional self-care that we talk about, but anything that can give your mind, which is on overdrive, a break is really helpful. So are crafts apparent. I, I didn't practice this, but my research shows that doing any kinds of crafts, knitting or 
because they take your brain away from the stress that you're thinking about. Certainly. Okay. Well, so outside of, of renewing, any other, you know, top tips or, or best practices you want to make sure to share with, with listeners who are, are dealing with elder care and career at the same time or other just personal challenges with work at the same time? I, I want to go back to that planning what happens after, is I think it's, it can be really uncomfortable because when you're thinking about uh, what happens after, you're actually thinking about what happens when my parent dies. And we have a term in the working daughter community that we call relief. And it, you know, it's a combination of grief and relief. Um, and that's often how we feel when our parents die. And it can feel really uncomfortable to admit that there's an element of relief there. But you know, the person you love is no longer suffering. You're no longer struggling. And um, so I think it's really important that we're honest about this. And so thinking about, okay, someday this is going to be over. What are my goals and how do I keep moving towards them? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, Liz, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things? Oh, you know what? The other thing I want to mention, and thank you for asking that, is just to talk about this at work. You know, as recently as 2013, 2014, when I was first going through it, nobody was really talking about this. And more and more, we're seeing articles about elder care. You know, there's a lot of conversation about workers who are parents, but there haven't been that many about workers with parents. And it's not just elder care, it's spousal care, it's sibling care. I mean, COVID has made us all caregivers at some level. So, I think being comfortable and trailblazing a little at work and talking about caregiving and when your companies might be talking about parents, reminding them it's not just parents. Because the more we talk about it, the more normal it's going to become. And it is. I mean, there's like 54 million of people out there who are going through some kind of caregiving and working. So why isn't it more discussed? Oh, thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My favorite quote now is, action is the antidote to despair, which is attributed to Joan Baez, the folk singer. And uh, for me, it's the things that have you stressed out. Um, if you just take one small step, you're going to feel that much better. And specifically to elder care, uh, you know, part of the reason we are so unprepared when it comes to elder care is nobody wants to talk about these things. We all know we should be talking about our wills. We all know we should be talking about, you know, burial plots and all, but ew, like who wants to talk about that? But if you just take one little action and move in that direction, oh, your stress just goes mm -hmm. away. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Yeah, um, I found these two professors when I was writing the book. One is at Johns Hopkins and one is at uh, University of South Florida. And they have been studying the impact of caregiving on people. And they have found all of the things that I just told you that it is stressful, it impacts your health, your relationships, et cetera, et cetera. However, they also found something they call the caregiver's gain. And when they looked at non-caregivers compared to caregivers, they found that caregivers have better physical strength, cognitive ability, self-esteem, and actually longevity. So I think the more we can talk about the caregiver's gain, the more people will realize that caregiving, while it often feels like something that takes from you, it actually gives you something tremendous as well. <laughs> that, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> you know what came to mind is, so those deadbeat siblings can suck on that. <laughs> but uh, that's not the kindest thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's exactly the kind of conversation you'd hear if you joined the Working so Daughter I'm Facebook I'm not too group. out of line. Okay. All right. <laughs> no. And I mean, and that's part of the reason I wrote the book and I started the community was back to that, like, you know, it was all angel wings and halos and people would always like, they kind of tilt their head and they like, their voice gets sappy and they're like, you're a caregiver. It's a blessing. But I wanted a place where people could say things just like that. Cause, and that's what I love about this research and what these two professors have done is they, their research doesn't say that caregiving is all wonderful and it's going to be better for you. They say both things can be true at once. And I think I just answered one of your upcoming questions. Oh, favorite book? Oh, no, not that one. Um, my favorite book is Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Mm-hmm. Just can't say enough good things about it. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I think it's Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I have playlists for like every scenario. Like if I wake up and I'm feeling stressed, I have a playlist for that. And if I'm giving a big presentation and I'm having imposter syndrome, I have a playlist for that. And I have a working daughter playlist that reminds working daughters that they're, you know, doing amazing work. So it Spotify is actually one of my best career tools. And a favorite habit? A favorite habit. Um, I think it's water. Is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. And that's what I was just alluding to a second ago. In the working daughter community, we say all the time that two things can be true at once. Um, And it's, you know, we can say this completely sucks and also know at the same time, you know, that we're glad that we have the opportunity to do it. We can feel grief and relief at the same time and not something that people always embrace, but we can hold two opposing truths. Mm Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, workingdaughter.com. That points you to the private Facebook group and the book and all kinds of stuff. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah. It would be to think about how we can be more compassionate at work because it was Rosalind Car- First Lady Rosalind Carter who said uh, there are four types of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who need caregivers. So this is a workplace issue, and it requires that we're compassionate with each other as we go through it. All right, Liz, thank you. This has been powerful and helpful, I hope, to to so many. I I wish you the best in all of your adventures. I appreciate you talking about it. Thank you. I love what Liz had to say about being able to forgive yourself and understand that there may be times in which awesomeness is not quite realistic and it's okay to be merely okay for a short period of time and then have that game plan to return to awesomeness without beating yourself up too much about it and finding that ability to forgive yourself and and be at peace with uh, trade-offs and choices that you're making that are indeed for the best. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP721. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.